Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you, 201-939-4513. That's the phone number. We'll get to your calls a little bit later in the show. we got two guests coming your way today, and our first one we'll get to right away. That is Dane Brugler from NFLDraftScout.com and the Sports Exchange. And Dane has released the beast. That's what they call it, his draft guide. It's our favorite draft guide here at the Giants facility. David Deal just took his home today. Lance will take his home today as well. Dane, you got John Schmuck and Lance Meadow here in East Rutherford. How are you? Doing well. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, Dane, well, first of all, why don't you tell people how they find your guide? Uh, easiest way is on Twitter at DP Brugler. Uh, I have a link, uh, link pinned at the top. It's an automatic PDF download, so you uh, you know click it. It automatically comes to your screen. It's under ten bucks. And you know the bosses want me to sell it for like twenty five, but I want to make sure it's accessible to you know everyone. It's not you know too much of a financial burden there uh, to pick it up. Anyone that's interested in the NFL draft, I promise you, you will not be disappointed with the level of detail and the amount of information in this thing. And not only just the top guys, but I'm talking, uh, there's 450 reports in there. So it should have you covered from uh, one through 256 on draft weekend. Yeah. 260 pages. You have like four or five different sections on, on each player. Uh, it really is wonderful folks. And just to let you know, I purchased this. Dane does not give it to me for free. It's so good. I've been buying it for years, and you guys should go and do it too. It's the, one of the best. I, I appreciate that. No, no problem, Dane. And it is one of the and like he said, one of the most reasonably priced guys out there as well. And the information is terrific. And Dane, I want to start with this first because Giant fans are kind of in two factions. You got the Saquon Barkley faction, and you have the quarterback faction. And I got both groups mad at me this week because I was starting to <laughs> give it the idea that maybe Bradley Chubb would be a good way to go, but a lot of Giant fans don't think he is a high enough ceiling uh, to be worth the second pick in the draft. You have him very high on your big board. Tell those fans that might not want Bradley Chubb why they might be wrong. Well, I, I guess I just I don't understand why they, you, you would not want Bradley Chubb on your team. I mean, if you would rather have Saquon Barkley, uh, okay, you know, I, I can understand that. Barkley is a, a fantastic player. He's going to be a fantastic running back in this league. But Bradley Chubb is outstanding. Um, I mean, back-to-back years over 10 sacks at NC State, broke Mario Williams' uh, records for tackles for loss and sacks. Uh, in, the best thing you love about Bradley Chubb is it's not necessarily a projection where you know, he, you, you're worried about him reaching his ceiling. He's already a really good player right now. Uh, and so you, you don't, there's, not, there's less of a bust factor there because when you watch him play, you see the speed, you see the power. Uh, you see uh, the know-how, a technical understanding of how to break down the rhythm of blockers and use different moves mid-rush to counter what the blockers are trying to do. So he has a very smart understanding of how to play the position. It's more than just physical skill, and he's just very well-rounded, can play the run. I, I know I, the biggest concern I think I've heard from fans, uh, Giants fans, is the scheme, You know, going to more of a 3-4, how will he fit? I, the way that defenses are run in today's NFL, it's just it's such a mix of both 3-4, 4-3. Uh, you're going to adjust based on your personnel. And Bradley Chubb, he's the best pass rusher in this draft. And uh, he's a guy that uh, is at number two, he's definitely in consideration there. Yeah, Dan, I, I want to do one quick follow-up. I think some Giant fans are scared. He didn't have the best three-cone. He was only a three-star athlete. But I was watching some tape with David Deal, who had to block a bunch of defensive ends during his career. And he was just so impressed with his use of his hands, his balance, his fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Just an o- overall well-rounded player. Uh, does that lack of 
bend the corner, super speed off the edge. Does that concern you at all in terms of limiting him as a top-notch pass rusher down the road? No, not at all, because he can do it. I mean, he's, he might not have the, the Vaughn Miller type of athleticism. That's, just, that's not who he is, but he can still win um, in different ways. And so, you know, if you, if you need him to drop his shoulder and rip, uh, dip and rip uh, around the corner, he can do that. Uh, he might not, you know, be the, the twitchiest athlete in space in terms of changing direction and you know, quickly transitioning his athleticism, but he can go through blockers. He can go around blockers. Uh, and, you know, he's, and like I mentioned, he's more than just an athletic, physical guy. I mean, he, he sees it. He, his backfield vision, he understands where the play design is going, uh, and he puts himself in position to make a play. So he's very intelligent, understands what the offense is trying to do. Well, as John alluded to, Dane, the Giants fan bases are in a variety of segments. So the, the quarterback <laughs> segment of the fan base certainly is intrigued by the fact that the Giants could very well have a few options if they want to go in that direction at number two. How do you see the change in talent from one quarterback to another within the group that at least is expected to go potentially in the top ten? Well, include me in that faction. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, to me, you know, even if you think Eli Manning is has a year or two left, or you know, however many years, uh, you know, that he can still play. Uh, you know, he's thirty-seven years old, and I mean, how often do Giants fans think they're going to be picking top five? Not very often. And so, get you know, while you're there, get your guy. Uh, we have plan for the future, and you know you're set at the most important position on your football team. Uh, and when you look at it, it, there's a lot of conversation right now around the league about who's going number one: is it Josh Allen or is it Sam Darnold? Uh, you know, only the, only John Dorsey knows. He is the only, and he might not even know 100 percent just yet. Uh, he might be you know 90 percent there, but John Dorsey might not even be 100 percent sure of who that first pick's going to be. Uh, and so, you know, for the Giants, you know, I think Dave Gettleman has been taking the last, uh, this last month, you know, once free agency ended and, uh, or, you know, they got through that and the owners meetings and all that, uh, really had a chance to sit down with the tape, you know, have these, uh, quarterbacks come in into the building, get to know them a little more. I mean, we've heard Dave Gettleman say he, he wants the best player. Uh, he wants the guy that has Hall of Fame potential. Uh, you know, it, he wants that, that best guy, and it might be a quarterback. Uh, if, uh, especially, in my opinion, if the Browns go Josh Allen, I don't know how you pass up Sam Darnold there. Uh, for a 20-year-old, everything he shows on the field, uh, I, you know, he needs to get better with the turnovers, no question. But I think those will improve. He, the, the foundation traits that he shows for such a young player, the ability to anticipate passing windows, the ability to uh, improvise on the move and throw off platform. Uh, you know, when things break down, that's sometimes when he's at his best. And uh, just the overall mental battle that it takes at the position, uh, he, he showed he can manage that and bounce back from mistakes, uh, the leadership. And, again, he's only 20 years old. So, for me, Sam Darnold is either going to go one or two in this draft. It just comes down to do the Browns take him at one, do the Giants take him at two, or does another team move up to the number two pick to get him? Yeah, Dane, I think we're all on the same page here. And if Josh Allen does go one, which, by the way, I'll believe it when I see it, I just think that's a really risky, risky selection for a team that mm -hmm. hasn't, hasn't had a quarterback for literally almost 30 years. Um, if you're down between Rosen and Mayfield and you're set on picking a quarterback, you have both those guys next to each other 
on your big board. I go daily back yeah. and forth which guy I like better. I think I'm eventually going to land on Mayfield because of Rosen's health issues, and more than anything else, as you know, that can really derail a career as, uh, as much as anything else. If you're sitting there in your Giants at two and you have a choice between Rosen and Mayfield, how do you parse those two guys? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a deep conversation to have. Uh, and it's something that uh, there's a lot of factors involved. Uh, with uh, Josh Rosen, you know, in a vacuum, he's probably the best pure pocket passer in this draft. Uh, I love the way he uses the middle of the field. He's probably the best middle of the field passer that I've ever scouted. Uh, really impressive in that respect. Uh, but uh, kind of like how you, what you were alluding to with the durability, uh, you know, the fact that he's, he had two concussions last year. Uh, you know, he missed uh, the year before. He missed the second half of the year with a uh, injury to his uh, throwing shoulder. Uh, there, so the durability is definitely because he's not an, a, a mobile guy. I mean, think about. Uh, you know, I think Matt Ryan is kind of his comparison uh, in terms of the movement skills and what he can do as a passer. Uh, and you know, if he stays healthy on the field, sure, sign me up. You know, I'll take that absolutely uh, in the t- a top five pick. Sure. And so, uh, but at the same time, again, is he going to be able to stay on the field and? You know, and the, and the whole personality and the character and the stuff that's been thrown around, you know, there's there's something to it, and I just I don't know how much. You know, it's something that is going to there's varied opinions about it. I, some teams are going to be turned off. Some teams are going to say just you know you know we'll figure it out. And uh, there there is something there, uh, but it's just it's hard to figure out how to how to incorporate that into your overall evaluation uh, of Josh Rosen and, and with Baker Mayfield. The biggest thing you worry about is just going from that Oklahoma offense, which was tailor-made for him and what he does, uh, you know, using the middle of the field, uh, using a lot of movement. Uh, you know, we didn't see him as consistently throw outside the numbers or make the consistent NFL throw as some of these other quarterbacks. But he was accurate, um, and, you know, not just Big 12 accurate, but when you, you know, watch the film, he's making throws that, I don't, you know, put them in the SEC, put them in the Big Ten. I mean, those are going to be accurate throws. Yep. Um, so, you know, we can talk about Big 12 defenses all day long. He's still doing his thing, and he's doing it accurately. So, and with Baker, uh, yeah, he, I, I think I would lean Rosen, um, even given the concerns. But, I, I, you know, ask me tomorrow, and I might feel differently. <laughs> they're, they're very close on my board. Well, that's how often things change when you evaluate the quarterback. And a lot of the things you brought up, Dane, you know, when you do look into a quarterback, it depends on the offensive line. It depends on the scheme, as you mentioned. It depends on the talent around the quarterback. So Mm -hmm. with that being said, who do you have the most confidence that if a general manager brings in a quarterback, regardless of the facets around that quarterback, that they'll be able to thrive? Who has the least amount of question marks, regardless of the environment that you put them in? Uh, yeah, I think it's Sam Darnold. Um, I, I think that you know, depending on, regardless of the type of offense that you're running, um, you know, your offensive coordinator and you know his philosophies, I, I think that he could thrive in any of those uh, any of those areas. Uh, where I think some of these other players are a little more, uh, you know, with uh, with Josh Rosen. I mean, you want him staying in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield, you want him moving around. Lamar Jackson, especially, you want him. You want to incorporate RPOs and option plays and. You know, him ability to use his legs. Josh Allen is a little bit of a, a, the wild card in all of this because, you know, we, we've talked about it. The physical traits are elite. Uh, scouting catnip, the arm, the size, the athleticism. Uh, it's hard not to be enticed by uh, those physical gifts, but he's undeveloped in so many key areas of playing the position. And, you know, if he comes out and turns out to be a 65% completion percentage thrower in the NFL – 
great. But that would go against what historical data shows us about players in college who are 56, 58%. Uh, completion percentage throwers at the college level. And so Josh, the Josh Allen uh, conversation is very loaded. It's something that uh, it, even in, like in war rooms and you know, teams are having their draft meetings right now, yep. there will be no consensus on Josh Allen. I mean, they will be going back and <laughs> forth about uh, you know, what his future looks like, what's his potential, uh, what's his ceiling as an NFL player, how quickly will he get there, how long does he need to sit. Uh, you know, the, the coaches are going to have their own opinion. Uh, it's really I, – I'd love to be a fly on the wall to hear those conversations because Josh Allen is uh, – uh, he's not as bad as people think, and I don't think he's has, as good as the number one pick, but he's somewhere in between. Dane, I want to be joined by Dane Brugler, NFLDraftScout.com, Sports Exchange. I want to dip down a little bit. I think the appeal of Barkley – I think is the effect that we have in the passing game. Pro Football Focus did a great study, and the impact of running backs on wins and losses is almost felt more in the passing game than the running game. And I think that's if you're going to make the argument for Barkley at two, I think that's the argument. If you don't go there and you're looking at the top of the second round or even maybe even top of the third, what running back do you like in that second tier? And it's a big second tier that can affect the mm-hmm. game both as a runner and as a passer, and uh, rather as a receiver. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's that's one of the arguments against Barkley in the top five is the caliber of running back you can get uh, in the second round because, uh, like you said, it's a it's a deep group, um, and you know it, we'll see how many go in the first. We know Barkley is going to be a top five, top six pick. D- Darius Geis does he fit somewhere in that late uh, late first round range? Uh, Ronald Jones, where does he fit in all this? Uh, and then on, on day two, I think the two Georgia running backs really stand out. Now, they weren't used consistently yeah. in the passing game um, uh, enough. I mean, that just wasn't part of uh, what they did. I mean, Sony Michelle had nine catches this past year, Nick Chubb at four. So on paper, it doesn't look, it doesn't look great. But when you work them out, uh, I think you can see that they have the body control, the focus, the hands to be receivers out of the backfield. Um, so I, I, I think that the, the college production can be a little deceiving. Uh, you know, you, of course you want a back that, uh, you know, John Kelly from Tennessee, he, he tied for the team lead in reception uh, with 37. So, you know, you, you'd love to see that in your running back. But when you work these guys out, you can get a feel for, you know, were they just underutilized in the passing game or were they underutilized because they can't do it. And with Chubb and Michelle, I think it was just, you know, that just wasn't a big part of their offense and what they were trying to do. I think both uh, can do it at a high level, both run the football, catch the football, and I think both are encouraging as blockers. So I, but the two Georgia running backs on, on the second round uh, are guys I really like. Well, one guy that you didn't mention was uh, Rashad Penny out of San Diego State, who obviously has the appeal of a mm-hmm. special teamer like Barkley. I mean, he wasn't necessarily a huge receiver in terms of his involvement in the offense. Where do you see him falling into that mix of running backs that you just mentioned? Yeah, he's squarely in that mix, somewhere in the top 75, you know, late second, maybe in the early third. The biggest worry I have with Rashad Penny is pass protection. Um, that, that, that's, he is not a very good blocker. Uh, and so you want guys that can – you can leave them on the field on any down. Uh, you know, and you don't have to worry about the defense saying, okay, well, Rashad Penny's in. We know he's not going to stay back there and pass protect. So he's going to run a pattern or, the, the, you know, the handoff going to him or, you know, what have you. Uh, so, you know, you want guys that can stay on the field all three downs and, you know, be versatile. Rashad Penny just isn't that right now. 
And I give him credit at the combine. He said it. He said, I'm not a very good blocker right now. I need to get better. And so I give him credit for knowing that, understanding that, and working towards it. Um, and so we'll see how he does once he gets to the NFL, if he can improve in that area. But, he, I mean, the production speaks for itself. Uh, he has, uh, what, 3,200 yards, uh, rushing yards yeah. the last two years. Uh, the, on special teams, he has the FBS record for career returns for touchdowns. It's just uh, ridiculous the amount of production this guy put together in college. Dane, one position we haven't spoken a lot about on this show is safety. If the Giants are looking for a safety to compete with Darian Thompson for that single high type position that can track the ball in the air, take good angles, make plays on the ball in the air, who do you like in the middle rounds of this draft that can do those sorts of things as a guy that's going to play deep? Well, I don't think there's not many. And I think every team would love that ball hawking free safety uh, that can play both sidelines, has the play range, has the ball skills, has the instincts. um, And we just don't see a lot of those guys in this draft. I think there's more box players uh, in terms of the safety guys you want creeping towards the line of scrimmage and coming downhill. Uh, But there are a few. I think Jesse Bates from Wake Forest, uh, one of the better free safeties in this group, 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, you know, he's a ball hawk uh, at, at Wake Forest. Uh, he trusts what he sees, and that's key for a safety. Where you're not trying, you know, you're not hedging your bets and uh, you know, kind of pitter pattering around. I mean, yeah. he trusts what he sees and he goes, uh, and so that helps him make plays. I think he's going to be somewhere, and he's probably the second round range, so not exactly the the mid round, but yep. you know, somewhere on day two. Uh, and then if you get into, if you're looking for someone in the mid rounds, more you know, rounds three, four, even the five. Tracy Walker from Louisiana is a player I like. Uh, yeah, good size uh, athlete, 6'1", 206 pounds. Uh, he was used all over. He was used as a strong safety, as a corner. They used him as a free. I mean, he was a big reason when Louisiana faced uh, Texas A&M that Christian Kirk had only like 34 yards or something like that. Uh, he, he covered him quite a bit in the slot and did a nice job. So Tracy Walker somewhere in the middle rounds uh, would make sense as that free safety. John just mentioned the Giants may go after a safety perhaps in the middle rounds. I mean, another position could be the offensive line, and we haven't brought that up. I'm, I'm curious, Dean, you know, when you look at the interior offensive line, and specifically the guard position, maybe an area that the Giants look into, you know, who jumps out to you if they want to target somebody in rounds two or rounds three? And my second part of the equation is, is Quentin Nelson warrant the number two overall pick if they even want to go in that direction? I think I think he does. I mean, Quentin Nelson is the best football player in this draft. Um, he's a better guard than any other player is at their position, in my opinion. Uh, and so it just comes down to uh, the value of the position and how each team looks at it. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like running back. You know, for the for the Cowboys two years ago, it made sense for Ezekiel Elliott. Last year for the Jaguars, it made sense for Leonard Fournette being a top five pick. Uh, for the Giants, does it make sense to have a guard? Uh, for the sake of army argument, include Barkley in there, running back too. So I think it, both those, you know, they're kind of fighting the positional value arguments, uh, both those players for the number two pick. But I do think he is worth it because he's the best football player in this draft and he's an immediate upgrade. He's going to compete for Pro Bowls very early in his career. Uh, but if you hold off into the second or third round, guards on the radar too uh, stick out immediately. Braden Smith from Auburn, uh, bigger guy, play a little bit of tackle, 6'6", 315 pounds. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. And then Austin Corbett from Nevada, uh, former walk-on, played left tackle uh, the last four years uh, for the Wolfpack. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, you know, you play on the edges in college, but he has the pedigree, has the skill set. 
he can move inside to guard, I think he'd be a long-time starter. Dane, final one. I know you got to go. Real quick, I had a chance to watch about four or five games of uh, on Johnson yesterday. I understand why you love him so much now. <laughs> he, he, reminds yeah. me, he reminds me a lot of DeMarco Murray. I think he's going to have a good career in the league if he stays healthy. But give me your prediction for the Giants pick and then what you think the Giants will do for both their first and second rounders if you can. Uh, I'm going to go quarterback at one. Um, I, that's what I would do, and I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're you know, they're going to see too much value in, in taking the quarterback there. Uh, now the question, which quarterback? That that <laughs> that, that gets tough. Um, I, right now, I'll say Rosen. Um, you know, I, I think Darnold's going to go one, even with all these Josh Allen rumors. And then you know, Rosen uh, to me, I, I think that fits. So I, I'll, I'll say Rosen right now. And then in the second, uh, well, Billy Price, uh, the guard center from Ohio State. Had the slight peck tear at the combine, but he'll be okay for training camp, the start of the season. Uh, a guy that you can plug in. Uh, you know, he was 55 starts, 56 starts at Ohio State. No one at Ohio State had more. Uh, I think he's going to be uh, a big time player. And be, because of the injury, you might get him at a discounted value uh, at 34. So I, your first two picks, I, I'm both on offense, I think both immediately help you. Pick and predictions the same. Dane, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I know you're real busy this time of year. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the draft. Thanks, Dane. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, guys. That's Dane Brugler. And again, let me get to the front page so I can show <laughs> it properly. That was his top 100 draft board, which is in the back. It says draft guide. Again, you can go to at DP Brugler on Twitter. Easiest way to get it. It's inexpensive and it's fantastic. 250 pages, uh, 300 profile, 300, what do you say, 350 or 450 profiles? I thought he said 450. Yeah, I think he said 450, yeah, he said 450. player yeah. profiles in here. So it's a wonderful book. Make sure you go and you get it. It's really he, – and he's always good to us on the show. Always comes on a couple times a year at the Combine and before the draft. We'll be joined by Teddy Lehman. He's the sideline reporter for Oklahoma football. So you get a little Baker Mayfield talk. Lance can get his Baker Mayfield hype out of his system a little bit. He <laughs> loves him some Baker Mayfield. But between now and then, let's get a couple calls in at 201-939-4513. Scott in New Mexico has been holding. Scott, what's going on? Hi, guys. How are you doing? What's up, Scott? Good. Uh, uh, the, all the guests this week have really been informative. Uh, the conversation with Dane was great. But I really liked and was very entertained by uh, Dan Shanka <laughs> on Monday. He was funny, right? Whew. He was. And he sort of threw both Josh Allen and Sam Donald under the bus. And uh, when I was hearing Dane, I sort of got this, a little bit of the same jargon that Baker Mayfield is the most accurate of all the quarterbacks. So why in blazes would the Giants, if they're going this route, if they're going to take a quarterback, why wouldn't you take the most accurate quarterback in the draft? Well, you know, Scott, and it's funny. I, 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 we didn't have time, so I couldn't really argue back and forth with Dan. I happen to agree with him, and I think Dane is kind of on the same page with Josh Allen. I think his inconsistent accuracy is a real issue. And we're going to have Dan Orlovsky on the show on Friday, former NFL quarterback, recently retired. And he talks about some of his you know, anticipation and recognizing things that are an issue for Josh Allen. And those things, I think, are real worries because I'm not sure you can fix those. With Darnold, to me, you can fix ball protection just by keeping two hands on the ball in the pocket. I think you can Which fix that. Which he's already worked on. And I think as a, as a 20-year-old yeah. that's only been playing for two years – I think you can also improve decision-making. I think those things are far easily more corrected than the issues Allen has. Now, why I, for example, like Darnold more than I like Rosen and Mayfield, uh, he has no red flags. 
Mayfield, you can look at either his size or, you know, attitude, whatever. Rosen, durability, and again, some people question the attitude. We don't really interact with the guy, so we can't speak so much to that. Um, He's much more mobile than Josh Rosen. He can make something out of nothing better than he can. And I think his size in the pocket gives him the advantage over Mayfield. And he made some throws in, in, in college, Scott, where... He's putting the ball in the middle of zone defenses, in between linebackers and safeties, anticipating where his receivers are going to be before they even come out of their breaks. It is some advanced level stuff. That's right. why I, I really I, I like watched Arnold. him in about four or five games. But the point that Dan Chanka made also, which I thought was interesting, is that I think in 26 games he turned the ball over 37 times. If I if I recall, that was accurate. I'm not sure if that was. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And, Scott, and, and, and absolutely, yeah. and that that's why I made the point. Decision making and ball protection are the two things. That's his problem. But Lance and I both think those are things that are relatively easier to correct than some other fundamental issues. Well, I mean, one of the things that contributed to his high turnovers is he was only keeping one hand on the football. So, you know, he right. fumbled the ball at a very high rate as a result of that. Jordan Palmer, who I mentioned earlier, who's been working yeah. with him, former NFL quarterback, said, you know, they immediately saw that on film, and obviously they've been stressing to him, you got to have both hands on the football at all times. And you saw it as pro day. Yeah, exactly. And the footwork, too, comes into play in that. Sure. With respect to the interceptions, I mean, the interceptions comes down to decision-making. You know, whether or not you're pressing the envelope, whether or not you're throwing off your back foot, whether or not you're forcing things into right. double coverage. I mean, I think most quarterbacks fall prey to that. So that's something that can be corrected based on film work and tendencies. But I wouldn't be overly concerned about his fumbling issues, Sam Darnold, because that to me is just a mechanical issue that has already been addressed. And by the way, Darnold's issues with that sort of thing, isn't it really similar to to Eli? I mean, I think some people would complain that Eli maybe yeah, with sometimes some might turn it over a little bit too much, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, the one thing with Allen that I'm a little concerned with, having lived in San Diego before New Mexico, I watched, forgetting that this quarterback I'm, I'm going to compare him to uh, was a head case, and that's Ryan Leaf, who was really a great, had a great arm, uh, and uh, was wildly inaccurate when he got to the NFL. Do you think Josh Allen can correct some of the things he was doing in college, or is that analogy of those two quarterbacks not not a good one? I think Ryan Leaf's rough because I think his off the field stuff had such a negative yeah. impact on his career. You know, and he had coaches changed on him really early in, in in San Diego, and I think a better example, and I only bring it up because the head coach brought it up himself, and that's Brian Billick, is Kyle Bowler. A guy that had a big-time arm in college could make all the throws just like Josh Allen. And Brian Billick was on uh, the NFL Network Path to the Draft Show, which is on at 6 o'clock every day. It's a great show if you want to learn about these draft prospects. Bucky Brooks, Daniel Jeremiah do a great job. And he talked about how when they looked at his tape in college, they explained away his 55% completion percentage by not having a lot of talent around him and, you know, circumstance, things like that, and he got to the NFL, and they're like, oh boy, no, this guy's just really not that accurate, and that's going to be really hard to fix, and he he doesn't anticipate well, things like that, so I think if you're looking for a worst-case scenario comparison for Allen, it's a Kyle Bowler, but is there a chance that he fixes all his footwork issues, gets his mechanics together, and turns out to be, you know, Dan Marino? Yeah, there's a chance that happens. He has that much physical ability, but there's a, I think, much bigger risk for him that it doesn't happen than there is for the other three quarterbacks that most people have in their top tier. Well, I mean, Palmer also worked with Allen. He worked with Darnold, then he worked with Allen. Allen's issue, he found, was him throwing off his back foot, which impacted his 
his inaccuracy and his accuracy. And I would also throw out the problem I have with Allen is that, you know, there were issues in terms of the intermediate throws, not just the deep throws. And that right. concerns me about whether or not you could correct that like a Kyle Bowler or somebody else. It's one thing if you're missing deep down the field. It's another thing when you're missing within striking distance. And Scott, here's the trick. Allen has the highest upside of any player in the draft. His physical tools are unmatched, but you need a lot more than just physical schools to play right. quarterback. Right. I had uh, one question that I wanted to ask about Davis Webb. Yeah, real quick. Uh, if the Giants are not going this route, which, you know, is a possibility they won't go quarterback. Yep. Uh, with Davis Webb, can you actually do an analysis of a quarterback like Davis who just really has game films and has those route trees he was doing in practice and so forth? Can they actually make a fair analysis of where Davis Webb is prior to the draft? Because obviously that's the key. In other words, whether they're going to draft a quarterback or not, it's the development of Davis Webb. So. Can that be done in two weeks? Because the draft's no. basically two weeks away. Well, it's not his pro day. I think it's Pat Scott. Shermer Appreciate the call. made that apparent. You know, you, you can't treat this off-season workout program as the Davis Webb Showcase. I remember this it's week not, and next week they're not on the field, yeah, so course, it's only the mini camp the week of the draft. Exactly. We're, so we're talking three days, John. Yeah, three days and and one of those again, days is the day of the draft. Well, and then on top of that, also <laughs> they're running around in underwear and shorts. There's Guys don't no, know the playbook yet. There's no game situation. It's not an NFL regular season game. How much are you going to learn about the quarterback? You're not. I think what Pat Shermer brought up when he spoke to the media at the owners' meeting hit it right on the nose. The best way for them to compare Davis Webb is go back and look at his college film and then look at Josh Allen, look at Sam Darnold, look at Rosen and Mayfield, and then sort of see where there are in terms of the same page sure. yeah. in similar environments. That's all you can do in terms of the means of comparison. I don't understand this whole narrative that Davis Webb has a huge leg up because they can look at the practice film from last season. By the way, he took about two dozen, during the regular season, he took about two dozen practice snaps. You're not making franchise decisions no. off of two dozen and, practice snaps. And he also put a lot of work, John, in before games because sure. he would simulate game situations. And you got to give him a lot of credit. He was extremely dedicated to his craft. But once again, how much are you taking away from that? You I can't. don't think it highly influences the Giants' outlook in terms of what they're going to do with the number two overall pick. You make the pick, and if Davis Webb turns out to be great, then you have another asset. Yeah, exactly. But you can't you let options. something yeah. that's that big. And look, I have faith in David. I think he can has a chance to become a good quarterback. But do I know that with any certainty? And nobody else can either. Absolutely not. So you can't let make that determine what you do with a pick as important as the second overall pick in the draft. Real quick, before we get to Teddy Lehman, I want to get to Ben and Manalapin. Ben, what's going on? Hi. Uh, my two favorite players in the draft were uh, Baker Mayfield and uh, Chubb as a defensive lineman. And They're then good players. On show, uh, at the draft, uh, one of the guys you had on, I don't remember the gentleman's name, he was a scout, said Mayfield can't throw into the wind. If he can't throw into the wind, he can't play for the Giants. And now, the honestly, honest, honestly, Ben, I don't remember who said that. Um, I, for one, just from my personal perspective watching Mayfield on tape, I have no worry about his arm yeah. strength. I think he can throw in any conditions. I think he'll be fine. i got to be honest. Well, I hope you're right because if they, it, in my opinion, he was the best quarterback in the draft. I understand why you would think that. Understandable. And I've seen him throw 50 to 60 yards down the field without any issue. And, and you know what? If you look at just on the field stuff last year, Ben, he was the most efficient, effective quarterback in college football last year. No argument. And I think eventually he'd make a great pair with uh, Beckham. But the second guy uh, was, was Chubb, the defensive uh, lineman. Uh, somebody called up, I think it was a listener, and said he, he saw the tape, the Notre Dame tape, with, uh, with uh, 
with Chubb, and Chubb had his way with uh, with the the uh, Nelson the and McGlinchey. You're talking about the two Lynchy. offensive linemen, yeah. But but when he when when Chubb stunted, and he came up against Nelson, he, the guy said uh, Nelson pancaked him several times, which leads me to want Nelson instead of Chubb. Which which by the way, I watched that full game, Teddy. After that call, and again, thanks for the call. Um, we have our guest coming up. I watched the full tape of that game. Chubb against those guys. McGlinchey won a bunch of battles. Chubb beat him a couple times, and maybe there were two stunts the whole game where he came over and tried to rush on Nelson. You can't take anything out of that. You're also not going to judge a prospect on a small sample size of one game. Too. I mean, and it's a stunt. He's not going one-on-one against yeah. Nelson trying to beat him. People make too much That's out of That's too much stuff. substance in one game. It's too yeah. much. All right, now we're joined by Teddy Lehman. Teddy is the Oklahoma Sooner sideline reporter, former NFL linebacker, and he joins us now to talk about some of the Oklahoma prospects coming out in the 2018 NFL Draft. Teddy, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How are you today? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Oh, we're doing, doing great. Well. Thanks so much for the time today. We appreciate it. And let's start with the elephant in the room. No reason <laughs> to mess around. That's Baker Mayfield, Teddy. And uh, from a guy that's watched him a lot more than we have the last few years, I know how good he was on the field. Sticking to his on-the-field work, where did you see any weaknesses from him? over his last three years in Oklahoma where maybe heading into the pro level you might have a concern here or there? Well, I'll, I'll tell you guys, frankly, early on, um, it took me a while to warm up to Baker Mayfield. Um, I, early in his career, he was uh, he had quick feet. And when I say quick feet, I mean whenever there was any sign of pressure in the pocket, he was out. He okay. was gone. And, and he would tuck it, and he would try and run with the football and create a play with his legs. Uh, and most of his completions were outside of the pocket. Now, he would make some throws from inside the pocket, throwing downfield, but the quick stuff, he would try and get outside. And I, I thought that's a problem with his vision. You know, Oklahoma has huge offensive line. They, they have the last couple of years under Bill Beatonboe, offensive line coach. I thought he was having problems seeing the field and had to get outside the pocket to get comfortable to make those throws. Yeah. As he progressed, the better he got, no problem in the pocket. He got to where he trusted his offensive line. Uh, he would sit in the pocket, go to read one, two, and three, and then deliver it down. And if something wasn't there then, if the pressure came, he would get outside of the pocket. And instead of just tucking it and trying to go get the first down, he would, you know, he would uh, create some space, let his receivers work in the scramble drill, and he would hit them for big plays over the top or convert first downs. So, Early on, I think the, the clock in his head was a problem, and he trusted his athleticism to run more than he did to throw. Uh, that was a problem early on. As he's a grass man, I, I'm telling you, it's really hard to find a flaw. You do have to look and say, okay, 71% accuracy, completion percentage, that's that's part of the, the, the Big 12. That's yeah. part of the competition that you're going up against. Uh, a lot of it is the offense where there's a lot of completions that are built into that offense. Mm-hmm. But, guys, he's really accurate with the football. I mean, there's no denying that. The deep balls, the, the long throws to the sideline, the comeback stuff on the opposite hash, he's, he's nails on all of it. He's, he's really developed his strength uh, or his uh, accuracy and his arm strength as well. 
With respect to his attitude, I'm sure that obviously is the number two thing on the list that people love to evaluate, <laughs> digest, and overanalyze, Teddy. You've been around him. You've seen him up close from afar. You know, why does the narrative turn to his emotions on the field are a negative as opposed to perhaps his emotions on the field are as a result of him just wanting to be a competitor and feeding off the intensity of his teammates? So which one is a fairer basis of what he stands for and what he demonstrates on the field? I, I think it's for a story. I honestly do. I haven't, I haven't heard any GMs. I haven't heard any scouts, head scouts. I haven't heard any head coaches say that, well, you know, he's too fiery on the field. I think that's a media narrative. I mean, I think GMs, the decision makers, love to see a player that is fully engaged in every single game that he plays against. I mean, guys, we're talking about the crotch grab. That's against Kansas, okay? Kansas, that's the worst team in the country. And here's the Heisman Trophy quarterback on the opposite sideline playing like it's the freaking Super Bowl. All right? So I've never heard a decision maker come out and say, we don't like his attitude on the field. I think teams love it. I think teams love that he's fully engaged no matter who the opponent is. Now, you want to get into some of the off-the-field stuff? Okay, fair enough. I mean, you know, I, 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 I get that. You know, he had the incident in Fayetteville. Um, you know, party in downtown Fayetteville got arrested for the, you know, the public intox. That's a fair criticism, and that's a red flag that you need to investigate thoroughly if you're a GM. But as far as the on-the-field antics, planting a flag after a win against Ohio State on the road, give me a break. Crunch grab against Kansas. They didn't shake his hand at, you know, for the, the coin toss in the beginning. He loves to compete. And he's going. He's going to go out there and wear it on his sleeve. I think. I think decision makers love that type of guy. Yeah, Teddy. What, what, one more thing for me on stuff on the field from Baker, and you kind of referenced it in your first answer. Watching the tape, he doesn't get balls batted down the line of scrimmage. And for a guy that's that's barely over six foot, it was amazing uh, how little that happened to him. But. Is there any issue, and we see it with Drew Brees in the pros, he's kind of on his tippy toes back there trying to see in the middle of the field. Do you think he'll have any issues seeing the middle of the field behind the big offensive line? Are teams going to have to design an offense to put him on the move maybe a little bit so he doesn't have that issue? Or was that part of that progression you saw over his career there where you think he's going to be fine at the pro level in terms of seeing over those much taller offensive linemen? Well, I, it could be a problem. You know, I, you've, you've got to know the throwing windows. You've got to know all that stuff. I mean, here's my real question with Baker. You know, in almost every single game he played in, I think I, uh, my co-host and I went back the other day, we picked five games of his entire career where he didn't have hands down the best talent on the field. There was only five of those games. Mm-hmm. So when you've got the best offensive line, when you've got the best skill guys, when you've got an unbelievable running game, everything works. It's hard to put pressure on him whenever there's a great offensive line. So people started dropping eight guys and trying to keep everything in front of them. That's that's one of the schemes that we saw a lot. And whenever there's only three guys rushing, you don't have any problem seeing through the offensive line. So I wonder in the NFL, whenever you have a legit four-man rush where you've got pressure right in your face right now from a three technique or a nose plus a good rush in uh, coming around the outside. 
your your receivers. I mean, you're going to have good receivers, but it's not like you're going to be throwing to wide open guys that are, you know, five six yards open. They're going to be tight windows. The coverage is going to be going to be tighter than you've ever seen. The disguise pre snap is going to be better than you've ever seen. So, I mean, there are some legitimate concerns with Baker, and whenever he's not throwing to wide open guys, whenever he's under duress in the pocket, how he's going to react. Well, one of the players that helped protect him is Orlando Brown, the left tackle. And at 6'8", Teddy, there's a lot of question marks about, well, a guy that tall, does he have the leverage and the ability to translate that over to the National Football League? What concerns, if any, do you have in terms of his size and whether or not that's a problem heading towards the pros? He's too big for left tackle. I've been telling people around Oklahoma for a long time, uh, everyone's so impressed with his size. And, yes, it works well in the college game, but in the NFL, he's too big for left tackle. He's 6'8", and when I think he weighed in at 345, guys, that's down. I mean, he's lost weight to get down to 345. He's too big. And the problem with being that big, uh, as, a, as an NFL GM, when you've got a guy that's, that's that big, you've got to say, okay, I'm going to be giving up some quickness. I better be getting some strength, right? And whenever he put up the red flag, the 14 bench press at the combine, I think as a GM, you've got to say, we can't take him in the first or second round. If we take him in the first or second round, and he doesn't pan out, people are going to say, how could you ever do that? Look at the red flags here athletically at the combine. So I think he's going to fall. But here's the thing, guys. Whenever, ultimately, whenever you evaluate a tackle, what are you going to say? Does he block people or not? Yeah. Does he move people off the ball in the running game or does he not? Do guys get to the quarterback against him whenever he's blocking them? And I'll tell you right now, they do not get to the quarterback and he moves people off the ball. So if he falls to a third round, someone picks him up in the third round, late second, third round, I think he's a starting right tackle in the NFL. Um, now, there's going to be a learning curve for sure. There is a any tackle or most tackles whenever you get to that level. But he, he's going to play in the NFL, I can assure you that. So someone's going to get some value because of the poor combine that he put out there. But he's going to play in the NFL. Teddy, I, you know, you listen to him talk, and he doesn't sound like your traditional football player. He's, he's you know, he's very thoughtful. He seems very intelligent. Um, do you get the sense that he really loves to play in the grind of the game? Or is he one of those kids that, look, my dad played. I'm huge. I think this really makes sense for me to play. What kind of sense do you get from him it, from that perspective, because as you well know, that motivation to push yourself is a big part of whether or not guys make it from college to the pros. He's well-spoken, and he does good in interviews, but do not get it twisted. He is a dog. And okay. I'll tell you, whenever you see him live in games, I mean, he gets flagged. After, I mean, it's been a problem before that he gets the 15-yarder after the play. Uh, he, he blocks beyond the whistle. Uh, you know, when, whenever he starts mashing on guys in a game, he's talking, he's, he's LinkedIn, he comes over and celebrates with the, the strength and conditioning staff after a drive. They all meet him on the field. They got a big celebration. He loves the game. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that he is completely locked in with football. 
We're talking with Teddy Lehman, former Oklahoma and NFL linebacker, covers the Oklahoma football team from the sidelines on game days. Teddy, I'm just curious. You, know, you mentioned he, you think he'd be suitable at right tackle. It's interesting. The Giants are trying a similar approach with Eric Flowers. They're starting left tackle over the last few years, and they're going to have him compete at right. If you believe he can be effective at right, though, and you notice, obviously, you know this better than anybody in the NFL, they still move the elite pass rushers to the right side and the left side. Why is it that he's more suitable on the right side, Orlando Brown, at the next level? Well, they do. You're right. Um, they absolutely do. They started to move those pass rushers around a little bit. Um, but, you know, traditionally, whenever you've got a bigger guy that's not as quick, you're going to put him on the right side. As long as you have a right-handed quarterback, it could be a little bit different if you've got a left-handed guy. Uh, you know, the quarterback can see the pressure from the right side. So the guy that's not nearly as quick, it's harder. You know, if, if they can run around on the, le- the guy on the left, that's a problem where a quarterback, he can't see him. If they run around and beat a guy on the right with quickness, he, he has the ability to see that, and he can step up and avoid the rush. So that's why typically you'd see a, a bigger guy, slower guy on the right-hand side. But um, he's still quick. Don't get me wrong. Whenever I say he's big and he's a, a, a right tackle, that doesn't mean that he's a stone out there and can't <laughs> move. He's still got good feet. He still can get off the football. And he's got really long arms, which is uh, advantageous when you're talking about blocking some of those those good uh, edge guys. So I think he'll be fine. There may be a team that likes him at left. I mean, he's he's super comfortable at left tackle, and I think they'll be surprised at how good he is and how confident he is. He doesn't lunge a guy. The problem with long-handed or long-armed tackles is if they start lunging at guys and, and someone can break the hands, they're dead. They're beat right there. But he's so confident. He's got great footwork. He just sits there and waits for, them, waits for those guys to come to him, and he just swallows them up. We're joined by Teddy Lehman. He does sidelines for Oklahoma, uh, former NFL linebacker. Teddy, you want to go to the tight end position. I'm not sure we're going to see a tight end go in the first round of the draft this year. And Mark Andrews, your tight end, um, how would you characterize him? Is he very much right now more of a receiving tight end? Is he more of a blocker? Does he do both? Um, What have you seen from him watching him in Oklahoma? He's a receiving tight end. There's no doubt about that. I'd say 90 to 95 percent of his snaps were taken from the slot okay. uh, in college. Uh, you know, when we get into some short yarded stuff and, and, you know, they worked him in with some boot stuff on the line of scrimmage a little bit more this year. I think just to, to help him out with the Mackey Award, the tight end award, he's got to take X amount of snaps from that, that traditional position. But he, he's a receiving guy. Now, he's big enough to be an inline tight end. That's just how Oklahoma used him. Right. That's not to say that he can't in the NFL get down there. I'm telling you guys, he's six foot five. He's two hundred and forty five, two hundred and fifty pounds. He can run. He's deceivingly fast. Uh, he's got great hands in the slot. He's got a great feel for settling down in zone coverages and finding the holes in zone coverages. I mean, he, he's he's been coached as a wide receiver for pretty much his entire career. So. He gets the nuance of the route running and understanding defenses and coverages. So I think that's a big positive for him. He's got an opportunity, guys, in the NFL to be a superstar. I mean, he's got a rare combination of size, hands, and speed that you just don't find at the tight end spot. So I'll be interested to see where he goes. If he goes somewhere with a good quarterback, it could be a huge weapon. Wow. 
Well, speaking of the receiving position and the blocking position, you know, I want to jump to Dimitri Flowers, Teddy, and he's intriguing to me because everybody talks about this running back class and there's a lot of depth, mm-hmm. and I feel as if Flowers may be a guy that is almost a complete back because of how Oklahoma utilized him as a receiver. He seems to be somebody that embraces physical contact. I guess the question is, you know, can he be – an efficient runner at the next level because from what I've seen, they used him a lot as a receiver. What do you make of Flowers' skill set and where his main strength is as he makes his way to the pros? He's a Swiss Army knife. He can do everything. You can line him up at tailback, which Oklahoma did at times and handed him the football. You can use him as a traditional fullback, which they did. Um, he catches the ball really well out of the backfield. They line him up at wide receiver at times and he can run routes. The question is, guys, what is he great at? He's not a thumper. He's not a fullback that you're going to go in there and run ISO and he's just going to smash linebackers. He's not a thumper. He's a position blocker. Mm. Um, as a as a receiver in the NFL, he's not athletic enough, in my opinion, to expose the super quick, super athletic inside and outside backers in the NFL. Interesting. So. Is he a running back? No, I wouldn't. I mean, he's capable, but you don't want to hand him the ball whenever you've got a uh, a legit running back in the backfield. Where Oklahoma had a lot of success was defenses didn't really know personnel grouping, how to defend Oklahoma because sometimes they'd line him up on the line as a tight end. All right, and then they'd split him out as a wide receiver. Then they'd have him in the back as tailback. So. Defensively, what, what do you, how do you exactly classify him whenever we're trying to put together a game plan and what, what coverages, what you know, blitzes, what are we going to do with him? In the, in, so there was a lot of uh, defenses kind of guessing how they were going to, you know, all the different things that they could do. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm interested to see what happens with him in the NFL because a lot of guys, I mean, how many teams nowadays have a legit – fullback I'm yeah. telling I'm talking about an eye formation guy it's not a lot you know they ask most of their tight ends to come in the back step off the line as a U position guy and they'll run some fullback that way if they need him to their second or third tight end will do that so I don't know man it's it's I think for the with the right fit the right team I think he could be a really good weapon for you but it's it's got to be the right fit because he he's not a traditional tight end he can't be a hand-down block of nine technique in the NFL. You're not going to split him out as wide receiver in the NFL. You're not going to hand him the ball in the NFL. You've got to use him in all of those different positions. I just don't know what, what team would do that. Yeah, it's one of those guys where you're right. In the right system, you got to find a fit for him. We're joined by Teddy Lehman. He does sideline for Oklahoma. And Lance left me the tough guy, so I'm, I'm going to take it on. All right, tell me about Obunaya Okoronkro. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. Thank you. Nicely done. But, Teddy, so, I think right, he made it, it too hard on himself. He could have went oboe. Oh, I, I, I do the full name. I do the full name. I'm not well. messing around here. <laughs> He's showing off. He's been practicing that. <laughs> I have been. Um, I think he is he's an exceptional talent. He, he, he's about 245 pounds. He's got good long arms. Uh, he, he's quick. He, he's not unbelievably fast, but he's got a good get-off. He can, uh, he's really added the last year he's added to this pass rush repertoire quite a bit. He's got some good counter moves. He's got a good spin move. 
plus he can beat you without with speed on the outside. He's got pretty good hands. He plays with a good pad level. He's strong enough, strong enough at the point of attack that he can anchor in and be an outside backer and set the edge of a defense against a pulling guard or a big tight end that's trying to kick him out. So he's got all the tools. Now, the question is, where are they going to play? Is he is he tall enough? Is he big enough? In the NFL, is a tra- traditional 3-4 outside backer? Yeah, I don't know. We're talking about Terrell Suggs, uh, Harrison, some of those guys. Those are big boys. So I don't really know if he's big enough for that. Now, uh, could he be like more of a Von Miller type, a jack position outside backer? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he's got those rush capabilities. If he goes to a good good coach, I can really hone that craft. Uh, I wonder if teams are going to move him to the inside because he looks and moves more like a traditional three four inside backer than he does anything. Interesting, you know, and he's going and he's going to put some pounds on. So I think he's athletic enough to where he can he can do all of those things for you. You can try him at edge rusher. You can try him at outside backer. If that really doesn't fit, maybe he could play some inside backer for some teams. So I think he's a guy that he's athletic enough and big enough that you could put him at a bunch of different spots. How is he in terms of stopping the run? Does that match his ability to get to the quarterback, or is there room to work with there? Um, I think there's room to work. He's good as a backside chase down guy. He'll make a lot of plays. Uh, sometimes he gets a little too over aggressive there and lets it cut back on him and and get back to the outside. Uh, I think his, his pass co- coverage leaves quite a bit to be desired as a, as a zone guy and as a man-to-man guy out of the backfield. Uh, that's something that he can work on at the next level, though, uh, and, and probably get better at. But he's a physical guy. He's a good tackler. You know, it, it's really hard to gauge that because we don't see in the Big 12 a lot of traditional NFL-style running games. So it's hard to gauge those guys. I mean, he honestly plays a stand-up rush the end almost all the time, and it's you know in this conference it's seventy-five percent run, you know, or it's run-pass option stuff. So it's really hard to gauge. But just because of the physical nature, the good footwork, the good pad level, I'd say that he's going to be pretty good against the run. I want to jump over to Devontae Lampkin, your defensive tackle. I take a look, and you know he's a big boy. Obviously, he has a lot of physical skills. But it seems to me he just screams one of these guys that probably left school a year too early, and if he stayed in and got more productive, he could maybe be talking about uh, a, a day two selection. Um, what's your take on Lampkin and, and what his future is in the NFL? 100% agree. Uh, we were shocked whenever he said that he was going to the NFL. Um, you know, he, he's an athletic kid. He plays with an extremely high motor. But technique-wise, just not there yet. Um, if someone takes a shot on him, gets him in camp, maybe puts him on a practice squad, I think he's got the physical tools to, to be able to play at the next level. I really do. Um, you know, whenever he's in, he's a high-effort guy, which I love. When you get one of those big defensive linemen that runs sideline to sideline. So he's definitely got the athleticism. It's, it's whether or not someone's going to take a chance on him. There's just not a whole lot of film there, guys. I mean, whenever you start looking at Lampkin, I mean, there's not a whole lot of consistency. It's just chunk plays here and there that he'll be in for a little bit of duration. And, you know, he's made some plays behind the line of scrimmage. But 
he's not a he's not a heavy rotation game in game out type of player for Oklahoma. So wow. I don't know. I I, I don't know where he's exactly going to go. Last one for me. The other player that I'm just curious about is uh, JT Thomas, the corner. I know there was some uh, off the field issues, Teddy, for him, and you know the 2017 production didn't necessarily match the 2016. But he does have perhaps that size that is appealing to some executives at that position. Where do you see him perhaps bouncing back, and does he have the maturity level to be a professional player? Um, you know, he's got really good quickness. He does have some good size. Uh, you know, I think he got into some confidence issues. You know, I think he gave up a couple of plays. You know, the season prior, his his junior year, he, he was fantastic. You know, he made some, some nice interceptions. People, you know, got scared to throw at him. But this past season, you know, he gave up a couple of big plays, and it's like it snowballed on him. And uh, down the stretch, he kind of lost his position there. So, I don't know. He's got some good tools. Uh, like I said, the speed, the quickness, the change of direction. He's got the, the some of the tools to play in the NFL. Whether or not he's got the confidence level to go out there and cover a big guy one-on-one, I mean, I don't know. He's going to have to, to uh, take some good coaching, have some big improvement here over over this last you know, six or eight months whenever he, if he gets into an NFL training camp. Teddy, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Awesome insight. We'll be in touch down the road, and I hope you enjoy uh, spring football. Thanks a lot, Teddy. All right, guys. Take it easy. Teddy Lehman, great job. Good stuff. And you know what I love about that spot right there? Because you'll get these guys on from school sometimes, and we do our best to avoid these guys, but it happens sometimes, and all they do is throw bouquets the whole time. Oh, this guy's great at that. This guy's great at that. This guy's great at that. My first answer to Baker Mayfield was, you know, when he first started, I had a lot of questions. And he was really honest about how he developed, about maybe Orlando Brown might be not might not have the bend and the physic and, and the quickness to to play left tackle in the pros. I thought there was some great insight there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, the discussion about Baker Mayfield having the tendency to run out of the pocket early in his career yeah. and not be patient in the pocket and settle down and observe the field. And you know, Orlando Brown may be a better fit for right tackle. I mean, he certainly didn't hold back. But, I mean, Teddy played in the National Football League, so I think he understands that yeah. you don't just come out of college and voila, you're a finished product, and then everything is uh, roses, rainbows, and lollipops. I haven't heard voila from you in a while. Well, you're bringing it back. It in. I'm bringing it back. I yes. like it. So, and I, and I think I want to go back to Dane for a second. That was our interview off the top. Um, he seems to kind of be on the same page that, that I'm on. I think he's probably a little bit more pro quarterback than you are uh, for the Giants early in the draft. But, you know, he really doesn't seem to love the idea of going running back in number no, he two. Did not. That yeah. was the gist I got out of that From spot. a value standpoint, though, it wasn't necessarily Barkley not being a oh, good player. no, he said he's it's a great player. But the again, fact that there's depth at that position and a lot of other options later on. And he made the point that yeah. it's position values, and not even we usually ask the question. We didn't have to ask the question. He brought it up himself. The position value of the guard and the running back at two and uh, is it there? But he really seems to think Bradley Chubb is a good enough defensive end and pass rusher to warrant the second overall pick. He's the third highest player on his big board, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and then after that, it seems as if he feels, well, we asked him his prediction. His prediction was quarterback. Right. That if Darnold's off the board, then Rosen would be somebody that the Giants should at least consider, meaning that they want to at least go in the direction of having a successor in place or more competition to replace Eli Manning. Yeah, and look, yeah. It, and you, you know how I feel. If Darnold's there, I, I think I think he's a guy you got to take. But if he's not, 
I understand why you would take Rosen. I understand why you would take Mayfield. I understand why you would take Barkley or Chubb even. I really do. I get it. I get all of that. I really do. I understand it. So I think the Giants have a lot of great options. And I was having a fun conversation back and forth with a couple of people on Twitter this morning. It was actually good, reasonable discourse where you discuss things. We don't normally get that. It was fun. <laughs> um, and I think it's important for the Giants. And if you look at all the mock drafts, and this will be my last point before we say goodbye, nobody has any idea what the Giants are doing here. You see names all over the place. You see huh. Nelson. You see Chubb. Uh, you see Barkley. You see quarterback. You see Trey Down. And that's so important for the Giants to have out there right now. Because the best way you maximize the value of that pick is for other teams not to know what you're going to do with it. You know, are the Broncos scared you're going to take a quarterback? Then maybe they'll trade up. Uh, are the Bills afraid you're going to take a quarterback? Well, then maybe they got to move up higher than five or six and they got to give up a little bit more. Even, even a team like the Browns, if they think the Giants are going to take the player they really wanted four. Do they say, oh, we have so many picks, maybe it's worth us to, to move a second-round pick to, to, to just move up two spots? And for the Giants, that might be worth it depending on who they're looking to select. So I think it, it's fantastic, especially given what's happened in the last couple of years, that there seems to, nobody seems to have any clue what the Giants are going to do right now with that second overall pick. Well, you have options, and that's another reason why the Giants should be in no rush until Cleveland makes the pick. And once Cleveland makes the pick, then you can assess whether or not you want to move down, you want to take a player, you want to go to a quarterback. I think it's good to have options, and I don't think that Dave Gettleman's complaining that all of these various stories are coming out because he he's just it. sitting back, relaxing, and let the speculation ensue. Same thing with the Cleveland narrative now that, you know, maybe they're interested in Allen. So maybe now that all of a sudden gets a team excited that if Darnold is still there on the board at number two, maybe it makes sense for a team to call up the Giants well, I can and move this. up or something like that. The so. best thing, and look, I, don't, I said it before, I've talked to people in Cleveland. Uh, I have still have the 70% Darnold thing going on. So I'm still pretty confident that they're going to take Darnold. The best thing that could happen to the New York football Giants is for the Browns to take Josh Allen. Oh, absolutely. That would send teams running to the phones to try to trade up to draft Sam Darnold. I will believe it when I see it. Yeah, I don't buy anything at this point. I just read it for what it is. It's mm -hmm. speculation. People need to come up with content because we're still a few more weeks away, and, and it is what it is. But the evaluation of the players don't change regardless of the speculation. It is silly, though. It doesn't benefit the Browns to lie about that. I mean, they have the first pick. They can do whatever they want. They don't have to convince yeah. anybody who they're going to pick. No. They got the first pick. They're not trying to fool anyone behind them, so I don't know. Whatever. Well, and and this it. is another That's reason, you know, just another side note as to why you can only – you know, put so much stock and substance into the stories you read. You have to understand, it's not just the team executives, John. It's the agents. It's the players yes, themselves. There's correct. a lot of different parts to this equation, and agents are trying to sell their clients. They're trying to gain leverage in the conversation. Sure. And if they get chatter around, well, you know, Cleveland's talking about Josh Allen, maybe other teams are like, well, wait, if Cleveland puts a lot of stock in Josh Allen, maybe we're <laughs> dismissing it. I'm not saying that's how it works, but it doesn't hurt that Nope. If you're the client or you're the representative. So that is also something that I think can't be dismissed from the equation. Absolutely. Guys, great stuff. Thank you to Dane. Thank you to Teddy. Two awesome guests. Tomorrow we're doing four schools. We got Colorado Isaiah Oliver, UTEP Will Hernandez, NC State Bradley Chubb, University of Texas San Antonio Marcus Davenport. And we'll try to squeeze in your calls in between. Good luck. And it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> Everybody. Indeed. And then Friday, by the way, we got – um, Phil Savage, who runs the Senior Bowl and does radio for Alabama Booked. 
uh, for noon on Friday with me and Fiegels. And then we have Dan Orlovsky, as I mentioned before, former NFL quarterback on the quarterback class at 1230. So more good guests continue, and then next week we'll continue doing our prospects from the schools as well. For Lance Menno, I'm John Schmelk. That's Big Blue Kickoff Live on this Wednesday. We only have two weeks until the draft. That's a positive. Ooh. Big positive. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.